Uh, last week in our message, the finger of, of God, we witnessed the Lord further display his authority over the world as he revealed yet another false Egyptian God. God took inanimate dust and created life in the form of lice that infested the Egyptian citizens as well as their livestock. Through this miracle, Pharaoh's previously haughty magicians were humbled before the mighty hand of God because when they tried to duplicate this impossible feat, they failed miserably. And yet Pharaoh would not give in as his pride and defiance of God kept the Israelites captive. This week, the Lord is keeping the pressure on as he brings another plague against Egypt in our message titled, Corruption Cometh. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. We thank you for this opportunity, like we said, to gather together. Uh, Lord, in your name and God, we just thank you so much for the work that you're doing and you have done already. Uh, God, I know that uh, I have prayed this week asking you to speak to me in regards to the message. And Lord, uh, I'm asking you now, Father, that uh, I know you have spoken to me, but I'm asking you now to speak through me. That the words that I would share, God, would not be the ones that I would personally choose, but Lord, the very ones that you would place upon my tongue. Thank you so much for the guidance you've given me through this word, and I pray, God, that you'll help us, Lord, to receive what we need. We are a needy people, Lord. We're a hungry people, Lord. Feed us today with the truth, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Exodus chapter number 8, verse number 20 is where we're going to start off. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Okay, confront him at the river. Notice this. These are the exact same instructions that they were given before when they've spoken to, to, to Pharaoh. Imagine Pharaoh's heart when he's out on the water and he looks and he sees those two brothers again standing there confronting him, right? They're, Pharaoh at this point in time is resolute. He's hard-hearted at this point in time. But bottom line is this has got to be having to make an impact on him and hearing this repetitive demand. Verse number 21. God further gives instruction. He says, Else if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses. And he says, Houses, I thought about penthouse, beach house, guest house, whatever Pharaoh's got going on. <laughs> and the houses of the Egyptians, that they shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground. Notice, remember, we talked about Geb last week, which was the God of the land, right? And this is another attack on him. It talks about being on the land, whereon they are. Now, why flies, right? We have a picture we're going to show you, just say, in case you don't know what a fly looks like, if anybody's a little bit confused. Doesn't that just give you a nice warm feeling inside? Make you feel relaxed, make you want to go have a picnic? Maybe not. Um, God discredited, in the past, God discredited Hopi, the river god of life, by turning the water into blood, which is a picture of death. He then discredited Hecate, who was the goddess of fertility, through the millions of frogs that he brought to the, to the land and then killed them, representing death. Next, the Lord discredited Geb, the god of the land, with the dust, of, dust into lice, revealing the power to God, of God to create life out of death and actually giving us a picture of salvation in the midst of that plague. This time... He goes after Kepri, the god of creation, which is depicted in Egyptian art as a human male form with the head of an insect, okay? Now, when we think about this, right, what do we usually associate when we think of a fly, right? Disgust, sure, okay. Annoyance, right? Filth, perhaps, right? Disease, maybe death, right? How many of us have ever walked up on something or found something dead, and what is it inevitably covered with? Flies, right? Right? They're just nasty. 
But let's investigate these flies a little bit further. In Psalm 78, 45, in Psalm 78, what we do is we see a recounting of the 10 plagues. And in this, he give a little more specific information about these flies. It says in Psalm 78, 45, he sent diverse sorts of flies among them, which devoured them and frogs, which destroyed them. We see that word devour, meaning these are biting insects, okay? Now the insect that would have been that fits this description pretty well is what's called a black fly. This would be common in the region of Egypt. And in this recent article that was written about health and safety in Egypt, this is what they stated about black flies. Deceased farm animals have been found along stream beds and riverbeds, the victims of large swarms of black flies. It is felt these blood-sucking insects cause toxemia or anaphylactic shock in the animals. In some cases, rapid blood loss may also have been a cause of death. An animal may breathe in the flies through its nostrils in such a large amount, actually suffocating the animal. Yeesh. Right? Now take a look at this last image I'm going to show you. That's a swarm, right? Can you imagine you're having your picnic under that tree? <laughs> having a bite of sandwich and all of a sudden, right? That's pretty disgusting when you think about it, right? So it appears that God's intent in introducing flies was not only to discredit their gods, but also to disrupt their culture as a whole. Now, why would introducing flies cause such a problem if it wasn't just the aspect of discomfort? There's another layer to what God's doing. It comes down to cleanliness. Why cleanliness, okay? Uh, we've gotten uh, the lice infestation which they experience, right? But the flies would have been worse because the flies carry disease, right? They issue, and when a fly lands, what is it doing? It's planting its eggs, which is maggots. Yeesh. Gets worse, huh? Yummy. According to the ancient history encyclopedia, it says this about the Egyptian culture. For the, Egyptians, ancient, uh, the, for the ancient Egyptians, life was a celebration. And so just as one would want to look, its, look one's best for a party, personal hygiene was an important aspect of their culture and values. The Egyptians bathed daily, shaved their heads to, present, to prevent lice or other problems, and regularly used cosmetics, perfumes, and breath mints. So important was, was one's own personal appearance that, some, that there were some spells from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, which is almost like their Bible, that stipulated that you cannot speak these spells if you are not clean and presentable. It is all about this physical appearance, how they appear on the external, right? Now, ceremonial cleanliness was a fundamental part of the Egyptian culture as a whole. Can we see why having disease-carrying filthy flies landing all over these people would not only affect them on a physical level, but also on a religious level, right? This is a two-fold attack. They would be attacked, uh, they would, this attack would be on their hygiene, their personal pride, their religious ceremonial practices, their ability to worship their gods, not to mention the torment and frustration and the disease that was being sent. Has anyone ever experienced a swarm of insects before? You ever been out and about, right? And all of a sudden you're like, and you start hearing them coming. What do you do? Do you wait on them? Do you embrace them? No. You're like, ah, right? You run, and if you can, you want to go inside, right? You want to get inside. Now, we live in on homes now that have, like, weather stripping and stuff like that. Back in Egypt, guess what? They didn't have those things. It says here that they'll be in their homes, meaning if you went inside, guess what? you got flies. In, just one fly in your house is irritating. Imagine swarms of flies inside of your house, and you're trapped in there with them. Hmm. Yummy, yummy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Egyptians here, they, they would be experiencing this everywhere. But I want you to notice also what it says here in the next part of God's plan. And in verse number 22, it says, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end, thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. When he talks about thou, he's pointing to Pharaoh. And he says, look, you're going to witness and understand that I have control over this planet. 
Goshen was set aside for the Israelites back in Genesis 45.10. That land was specifically given to the Israelites. And he says here that's going to be severed or be set aside. This is verse number 23. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. So corruption is reserved for Egypt and Egypt alone. What you understand here is the fact that Egypt, remember what Egypt is a picture of what? It's a picture of the world and a picture of sin. Remember? Okay. Moses is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pharaoh is a picture of Satan himself. Right? So we look at this aspect of what's going on. So corruption is reserved specifically for them. The Israelites are going to be spared. At this point in time, Moses and Aaron would have approached Pharaoh. They would have stated their case. And based upon the next verse, we know that they were rejected. Verse 24. And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and all the land of Egypt, the land was corrupted by reason of the swarms of flies. It says that all the land of Egypt was corrupted, okay? So from a, from a physical perspective, we can certainly see how devastating it would be to have flies all over the place, these swarms of flies. In fact, you see, is Goshen, what's interesting about Goshen, Goshen is a part of Egypt. This is over, over, all, of Gisha, all, of, all, over, all over all of Egypt, but this one specific area has been protected. In order for someone or something to be corrupted, it must be distorted, defiled, or disrupted out of its original purpose or function. Now, we can witness this in our society today, can we not? Think about it. A government, a corrupt government. Are there corrupt aspects of government? Absolutely. Are there people that have, that have initiatives or drives of their own and their own personal drive or, 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 or what's the word you're looking for? Agenda, right? Absolutely. Corrupt governments. How about a corrupted file on your computer? Ever experienced that before? Man, it messes everything. You click on something, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, yeah, because once it's introduced, it brings havoc. A corrupt cell in our body, right? What is cancer? Cancer is a corrupted cell that then attacks the body. It attacks what it should not attack, but it does. Corrupt relationships. Wed I mean, marriages. Over 50% of marriages in the United States, Christian and non-Christian, end up in divorce because of corruption that's introduced into a relationship. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. That means no man or no woman, right? So God's desire is to see this balance, but what happens is corruption has worked its way in. Now let's look at this on a more of a spiritual perspective, okay? We've seen the physical. As I searched the flies, searched flies in the Bible, I ran across an interesting verse, and I'm going to share it with you. It says here, now this is going to be, to give you a little bit of a preface, this is in the book of Matthew. This is when the Pharisees are actually attacking Jesus, and they're slandering as he's casting out demons. They're saying you're doing it by, by, by the devil. It says here in Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. The reason why that's interesting is if you translate the word and the name Beelzebub, it translates Lord of Flies. Lord of Flies. Interesting, isn't it? Lord of Flies. Now, we understand who this is talking about. This is obviously Satan himself. We know what his purposes are. John 10.10 10 teaches us that he comes, the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy, right? We know that his, he's coming for destructive purposes. So these, we know we can understand who we're talking about here. And we look at the flies. Now we can see them on a spiritual perspective, how they actually represent corruption. And they represent a demonic or, de or an evil force. Here, Egypt remembers a picture of the world, and it is overrun with evil. Can we not see this in our world today? It's overrun, man. We can see evil permeating every aspect of our culture. 
We can witness it on TV. You can watch it. Anything you pay attention to. People have been defiled, corrupted, and destroyed by the evil that is permeating all of us. It's in our culture. It's in our government, our entertainment, our education, our media. It's in our homes. And guess what? It's also in our churches. There are a lot of corrupt churches in this country. There are plenty of places where, you know what? Truth is not being preached. In 2019, corruption is alive and well in our world today, Amen. right? We can certainly see it societally, and we can sit back and go, yeah, and that's a problem, and that's a problem, and that's a problem. Yeah, it's easy to point fingers out there, but how about personally, Amen. right? How about personally? Has corruption made its way into our lives? Right. Has it corrupted our hearts mm-hmm. or our minds, right? Remember, it's not a matter of what comes into a man, but what comes out that defiles him, right? We're going to look at that verse in just a moment. Now, what do we look at this? Is this? It's a great influence. Which has a greater influence on your life, the way you live, communicate, and interact with those around you? Is the one that has the most impact on you the Lord of glory or the Lord of flies? Because guess what? Both are working to influence you. What do you open yourself up to? Where do you spend your time energy and effort. What do you allow in, right? And what comes out? Galatians 5, 19 through 23 says this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, that means to be unfaithful, fornication, that's sex outside of marriage, uncleanness, morally wrong behavior, lasciviousness, that means outward lust, idolatry, that's anything you put above God. People go, I don't put anything above God. Well, bottom line is if you're supposed to be in church and something comes up and you go, you know what, I'm doing that instead. You're putting that above God. If you cannot spend a day, something controls your life, and you, you're basically what happens is you worship. If you worship money, guess what? That becomes your God, right? Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Variance means contention, fighting, frustrations. Emulations means to imitate. I'm going to keep up with the Joneses, man. That's emulations. Wrath, which means anger, strife. That's bitter conflict. Seditions, that means cause disturbances. Heresies, speaking against God. Envyings, murders. In fact, in Matthew 5, 21 through 24, I recommend you go read that. It talks about what murder is. It's not just about going and killing somebody. It's actually about having hate in your heart for someone else. We're all guilty of that at some point in time, right? It says, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like of which I have tell, tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. As a child of God, this is not the fruit of your life. If it consistently comes out of you, you need to check where you stand with God. Then check this out. It says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, right? That means that's what's supposed to come out of us, the fruit, right? It's given a comparison of a tree. If a peach tree gives off peaches, I, I can look and see if it has peaches on it, it's a peach tree. If it has cherries on it, it's a cherry tree, right? It's easy. The evidence of the fruit tells me what kind of tree we're looking at. Matthew 7, 20 says, Whereby, it says, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. You shall know them, right? By our fruits, people should know who has a greater influence on us. Is it God or is it Satan? Your life reflects what you are and also who you represent. Does our life consistently give glory to God? That's the fruit we're supposed to be giving off. We're on this earth to bring glory to God. It's not about you being happy. It's about you being holy, right? 
A righteous person is someone who lives a holy life. The wonderful result is holiness. If you live holy, the result is happiness. It comes as a byproduct. If you seek happiness, you'll never find holiness, but you'll certainly, certainly find frustration. Happiness is not what we're shooting for. It's holiness that we're shooting for. And if we'll do it, God will reward us, not just in public, but in our private life as well. Are we bringing glory to God? It's important that we're real with God because guess what? He knows the truth about us anyway. We can fool ourselves all day long. We can fool other people, but it does not make a bit of difference. He sees within our hearts our deepest thoughts, our deepest desires. And I can claim to love God, but God knows if I'm being real. It comes down to the Egyptians' focus on ceremony and outside appearances. The same was true of the religious zealots of Jesus' day. Look what he said to them in Matthew 23, 27 through 28 as he confronted them. Matthew 23, 27, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. And even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. He says, you play a good game, man. You look the part, brother. Man, that's a sharp suit, man. Like that Bible. What's that? That's that real leather? Nice, man. Nice. Yeah, you're right on time for church, too. Yeah, brother. Amen. But I can look the part. But if I'm not right with God, he's not concerned with this. He's concerned with this. Check this out. Mark 7, 15. There is nothing from without meaning outside of a man, that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. So many people are worried about the way they appear and all this stuff, and they're worried about this outward appearance, and God's saying, look, that's not my concern. My concern is what's inside of you. Because what's beautiful is when our heart gets right, guess what? The outside just follows along Amen. and follows suit. It's a beautiful thing. But if I get to change the outside and somebody dresses the part and looks the part and acts the part, but their heart's not right, all we got is a hypocrite, right? So I can get people in here and set a bunch of rules for you and make you conform and create a whole room full of hypocrites. Or we can say, you know what? Let's focus on a relationship with Christ. Let's teach you to love him more than you ever have before. Know this book better than you ever have before. And what's beautiful about that is the outside will just go ahead and conform to the way God wants you to be. Amen. It's wonderful. We don't have to do the work. God does the work for us. Praise God. That's true of legalism, but that's also true of false doctrine as well. Corruption is trying to work its way into our churches. False doctrine means a doctrine is something. All that means is a teaching. That's a teaching from the scriptures. A false doctrine means that it is a teaching something that is incorrect. The reason we want you to know this word and the reason why we use all the scripture to verify what we're telling you is the fact that we want you to know I'm not telling you what I believe or what my preference is. I'm telling you what the word of God says. It's not about a preference. It's about a reference. We should be able to show you in the word where it comes from. Corruption is certainly a big part of our world today, but remember what God did for the Israelites in verse number 23. He says, I will put a division between my people and thy people. He created a border between safety and destruction. He set apart, he sanctified the Israelites and gave them safety. The land of Goshen, which was a part of Egypt, is protected from corruption and the devastation that hit all of Egypt. Now, if you're a born-again child of God, guess what? He's done the same thing for you. Amen. He's done the exact same thing for us. Check this out. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever 
them that are sanctified, man. <laughs> Set apart. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has created a division for us. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Amen. For by grace you saved through faith, man. Faith. This isn't something that because you're in his family and your family is Christian that you become a Christian. No, it's an individual thing. God calls us and we have to respond. There was a day, August 11, 2001, when I responded to the call, man. Amen. God spoke to my heart. And we slid off the couch onto our knees, man. I said, you know what, God, I give my heart to you. Amen. And you know what? That safe place became a place where we could live. Amen. We were trapped in corruption Amen. in the world. Yes. And God said, I got a clean, wonderful, safe place for you. Yes. Come on. But you got to choose. Does this mean that we cannot fall prey to corruption? I wish it did, but unfortunately it does not. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Galatians 5.16 and 17 says this, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. God wants to use you in your life. He wants to use you to do something great for him. And bottom line is when we're, not in, when we're in our flesh, we cannot be used of God. And when we surrender ourselves to him and we live in the spirit, God can then use us. Proverbs 1.10, beautiful thing that Solomon wrote. It says, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Yep. To consent means you have to make a choice. I have to consent to fall into sin. So God's given us a choice. We have an opportunity. We can live a life in fellowship with God and his people, you know, or we can cross the border into corruption. It comes down to whether what we choose. What do we want to do? Believe me, the enemy will do all that he can to entice you across the border. You can be a born-again child of God and be enticed into corruption. There's a border established, and God says, this is a place for you. I created this for you. I love you. I did this because I care. And I want you to be with me in fellowship with me. Let's stay together. Let's walk together. Let's love. Let's spend time in fellowship. Know my word. Pray. Speak to me. Let's have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And man, if we'll do that, oh my goodness, buddy. There's a life. The Bible says this is a life, right, that's so fulfilling, right? An abundant life God has for us. But at the same time, we can choose to walk away and fall ourselves, find ourselves in corruption. But remember that Satan is a liar. John 8, 44 says, When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He will lure you and entice you every which way he can possibly figure out to get you out of that protected land. And as a liar, here he goes. Verse number 25. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said in verse number 26, and Moses said, It is not meet for us to, it's not meet so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? What he's saying here is saying, Look, the very ones that we're going to be sacrificing, 
These are the ones they worship. Okay, these are their gods. You're telling us we're going to go out and take their gods and kill them in front of them. They're not going to get bent out of shape over that. Think this is going to be a problem, right? And what he's trying to say is, look, bottom line is, the important thing is the offense does not need to be against God's people. The Egyptians' offense needs to be against God. They need to recognize that what's taking place is not on the individual folks. God's trying to say, look, I'm trying to hold y'all out of this. I'm fighting this battle for you. I want to protect you. So I want them to be involved in any way, shape, or form. Verse, in Exodus 14, 14, we see a beautiful image of that. This is when they're standing at the Red Sea. And this is a cool verse, man. It says, the Lord shall fight for you, Moses says, and ye shall hold your peace. God wants to pull them out of this fight and say, look, just watch me handle it. Let me take care of it. The plagues are to protect them, but it's also to break through the pride of the Egyptians. Verse 27, we will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. These were the instructions that were given back in Exodus 3.18. God specifically told him, you're going to go three days journey into the wilderness. In verse number 28, and Pharaoh said, I will, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord our God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. He says, okay, okay, okay. I give in. You guys can go as long as it's on my terms, yep. right? Remember the issue that we have with Pharaoh is pride, mm -hmm. right? Every one of us in this room have a pride problem. Amen. Every one of us. Amen. You can deny it all you want to, and that just shows your pride. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a part of who we are, right? Pride is the root of all sin. Every time you choose to stand against God, it's because you think you know better than he does. That's an issue of pride. And what happens is many times we don't want to face the fact that we've sometimes made mistakes. One of the reasons why it's so important in this church that we want you to be honest and be upfront and real with people is because bottom line is if you can be real and be honest and be humble, well, then we can get to know one another and we can support one another. Because if I don't know what your issue is, how can I really pray for you earnestly and honestly, right? That doesn't mean you have to air all your dirty laundry of everything that's ever happened in your life, right? That's not what this is about. But it's willing to say, look, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. This isn't a place to come in and be perfect. This is not a place to come in and be seen and set an example. This is a place to come in and go, you know what? I'm broken. Amen. And you know what? I'm hoping somebody else in here might be broken too. Amen. And guess what? They're all around you. Everybody in here is broken at some level. We've all experienced things that have hurt us. But the wonderful thing is God's in the power of, he's got the power of restoration. And see, restoration is not in us. It's in him. Amen. It's not dependence upon self, which is pride. It's humility before God, right? He says he will humble those that exalt themselves. He says, well, those, he says those that he will exalt, they will, he will abase. Abase means bring down to the ground. But those, right, that humble themselves, he will exalt. God uses humble people to do incredible things. And when we look at Moses, he becomes more and more humble. And he starts realizing, look at the power of God. Check this out, what he says to him. And Pharaoh called for Moses. Where am I at? 29. Thank you guys very much. Somebody's paying attention. Perfect. And Moses said, Behold, <laughs> I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Check this out. Tomorrow. Remember with the frogs? When do you want me to take the frogs about? And Pharaoh's like, Tomorrow. Pride, right? I'll have it on my terms. And now what happens, it gets around a little bit. No longer on his terms. He says, I will do this tomorrow. 
But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice the Lord. Check this out. Moses, who came before, came before Pharaoh before, kind of like this, like kind of scared and like, oh, yeah. check him out, man. Now he's calling him to the carpet. He's like, look, okay, we will. Uh, obviously, and I'm not going to do it today, by the way. I'm going to do it tomorrow on God's timing, not on your timing, Pharaoh. And you know what? You better be straight with us. Don't be messing with me, right? He said, look, you need to be straight up and be honest because God's going to hold you accountable. He's like, look, I'm only here to speak for him. Moses is realizing that there's great strength, not in him, but in God. And it's his humility in this situation that gives him boldness to stand for the Lord. And see, there's people out here that we want to talk to that we're intimidated to talk to. And most times it's because of our pride. I don't want to look bad. I don't want them to say anything about me. But if we'll humble ourselves before God and realize that if he speaks to your heart to talk to somebody, he's got a purpose to that. If you feel a desire to speak to someone and you go, your pride will automatically go, you know what? This could go wrong and this could go wrong and this could go wrong. And then they'll tell so-and-so. Next thing you know, they're going to post on Facebook with your picture and you know what's going to go terrible. Ah! And you go, probably safer just to pray for him from a distance. That's what I'll do. Pray for him from a distance. Yeah. Anybody else ever fall and pray to that? Yeah. So what happens is we don't trust in the Lord. We trust in self. We look at circumstances and it determines what we do in our decision-making process. And what God's showing us here with Moses, he's saying, look, you know what? Moses could stand before the most powerful man in the land, just he and Aaron, and confront him straight up and challenge him. You better not be doing, you better not be messing with us, brother. Don't be jerking us around. Don't jerk my chain. This is Pharaoh, man, the most powerful ruler on the planet who could wipe out an entire people. But Moses trusted in God. And he'd seen God do enough. We know Moses was not trusting in God in the beginning. Remember, he tried every way he could to possibly back out again and again and again. Excuses, 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 excuses. But what happens now is God has been faithful. And through God's faithfulness, his trust in him has increased. And as God is faithful in your life, patience, tribulation, Romans 5, tribulation, work with patience. Patience, experience, and experience, hope. God uses tribulation to cause us to, to trust in him, to have the patience to say, you know what, God, I'm going to wait on you. Yeah. And when we, get, when we trust and we wait on him, then what happens is through that patience, God says, here's some experience for you. Amen. You can trust me because you know what, I'm faithful. Amen. I'll come through for you. Yes. And then when he comes through, guess what? That patience, that experience turns into hope. Yes. And when you realize that tribulation is a gateway to hope, it'll change your perspective on tribulation. Most of us don't want to go through hard times, but God says, you know what? Hard times is where I teach you. Amen. Hard times, right? That's where you learn dependence. Moses has developed a dependence upon God, and we can see it clearly. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the, entreated the Lord. He honors his word, right? This is interesting. He's not convinced that Pharaoh is going to keep his word, right? I don't think he's like, okay, this time he means it. Because the first time when he said, I'm going to do it, remember he left there going, hey, that was pretty great. That first one worked out perfect, and then we're all set because he's going to let us go. This is wonderful. And he didn't realize that he was going to lie, even though God told him that he was. So we see here, like Moses, we must not allow the actions of others to impact whether or not we do what we say we're going to do. Amen. Right? Moses said, this is what I'm going to do. It does not matter if Pharaoh keeps his word or not. He's going to keep his word. And see, what happens so many times is we determine our actions based upon what someone else does. 
right? Oh, I'm gonna, I'll do this for you, you know, yeah. But then they, they drop the ball, and we go, well, why should I do mine? Why should I keep my word? He didn't keep his word. I mean, tit for tat. Well, that's not fair, right? Anybody else? Yeah. But what happens is God says, look, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. You tell me you're going to do something, you do it, right? It doesn't matter what they do. They can lie, cheat, steal, whatever. You do what's right because guess what? You're supposed to be a reflection of the character of God. And God's character is to do all things well, to do things decently and in order. God is always going to keep his word. And we see Moses do that very same thing. Matthew 5, 37, I said, let not your communication be yea, let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Verse 31, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. There remained not one. To the very last fly, that specific, all the way through, God does all things completely, and he does all things perfectly. So when God's going to do something, he does it the best way possible. And Pharaoh, it says here, and Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Again, he proves to us that he is a liar, right? <laughs> Telling you, you ever see people that are really good liars? They just straight up lie to you and you're just like. That sounds like a load, but man, the way he said it, I mean, I really want to believe that. I mean, maybe it is true. That's, dang. Right? There are people like that, man. They're gifted. But see, <laughs> from Satan himself, right? <laughs> They have this ability to just, just not have, they have no self whatever. They can just lie straight up. And Pharaoh again and again and again, he lies. <laughs> Don't get that gift, whoever you are. <laughs> Let that one be gone. That one's led to, that's a corruption one, right? But bottom line is, we're going to struggle with that in this life. And when someone lies to you, that doesn't mean it gives not give you the, the okay to lie. It doesn't make it okay for you to turn around and slide, reach out in anger, right? Because the people that lie to you, traditionally, they're lost people. How do you expect a lost person to ask, to act like a lost person? The Bible says they were set on the course of the prince and the power of the air. A road of lying, cheating, and destruction. That's who they followed. That's their example. Bottom line is God saying, look, that's not the example you're to follow. You're to show them something different. Pharaoh hardened his heart, right? It says in Romans 3, 4, Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Corruption is in our world and seemingly getting worse every day. Every day. You can watch the news and see it clearly. We can watch how things are taking place. I mean, the attack on human life, the attack on, on identity of human beings. You know what? I mean, look at what's going on in our culture politically. And the anger and the frustration and the bitterness that people are expressing towards one another. We have got to stand out from them. Going against someone who does not believe what you believe politically and yelling at them and screaming at them and being abusive is the very last thing you need to do because all you're doing is adding to the fray of hatred. Bottom line is my job is to love the sinner and hate the sin. 
How can I love somebody if I'm screaming at them, if I'm accusing them, if I'm judging them? Judge not lest ye be judged, God says. It's not your place. Your job is one thing, love them. Love them. That doesn't mean you accept their lifestyle. It doesn't mean you accept what they do, but you love them in spite of it. Because love will build a bridge. Jesus built a bridge out of two pieces of wood. Driven by love. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Looking lost people in the eyes who are spitting at him and making fun. Love. Love. It's the solution. It's a solution. As children of God, we can live for him and claim our rightful place with the Lord and land of peace and rest and safety. Or we can follow our flesh and listen to the lure of the enemy with all of his false promises of fulfillment. Only to realize that before long, when you're in the midst of that corruption in the world, you're going to hear something in the distance, a little buzz, and it's going to get louder and louder and louder. Because guess what? Corruption cometh. Destruction comes in the lives. You can live in the world, and you can claim that as your place, but it's just a matter of time before corruption cometh. But the good news, the great news, the gospel news, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. You think about how valueless you may feel, how dirty you may feel, how corrupt you may feel. God doesn't condemn us as failures and leave us amidst the corruption. He came to make a way of escape for any and all that will call upon him. Driven by love, he came and gave his all for us. Driven by love. And then it comes down to this. Will corruption be our story? Or will redemption be our story? Will you be restored from your broken state and used for God's glory? Or you stay in corruption and suffer the side effects and the long-term result? There are people that we know right now, Christian and non-Christian, that are in the midst of corruption. And God loves them amidst it. The choice comes down to us. Will our story be corruption? Or will it be redemption? We choose. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today, and thank you for your message, God. Uh, Lord, uh, realizing the fact that uh, it is a broken world, and uh, Lord, there's a, an enemy that desperately wants to destroy humanity, and uh, God, he's gunning for us. And uh, Lord, we have to be careful of what we do, how we live, what we put into our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that you help us, God, to recognize the fact that corruption does cometh, Lord, and it is seeking to work its way into our lives. But God, you've given us a safe place in your arms. You tell us to cast your cares upon me, for I careth for you. God, you are there to take us in your arms, love us, protect us, shield us, comfort us, Lord, and help us to grow that we might be used for your glory. God, we praise you for that and thank you for what you've done. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? I might be one of those 
who's a born-again child of God. I know I'm saved. But you know what? I found myself stepping over the border into corruption a little bit. I've been playing around with that. And it's dangerous. And I want to get out. I want to cross the border. I want to be in the arms of my Lord. You have that opportunity to do so. It's nothing more than humbling ourselves, setting our pride aside, and trusting in the Lord. Or you may be this person. You say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm in the corruption. I don't know if I have a way out. I don't have a relationship with God, but I want to. I don't want to be stuck in this mess. I don't want to live in this world. I don't accept that as my truth and as my future. I want something better. I want something new. I want something different. I want to be free of the guilt that I live with every day. I want to know the Lord and for Him to know me. Guess what? He is calling out to you as we speak. The Bible says that no man cometh to God, but the Father draw him. And God is drawing hearts. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I do not know. If this was my last day on earth, if I took my last breath today, I sure hope I go to heaven, but I don't know. I don't know that I have peace in my heart. I don't know that I have the joy of the Lord in my heart, but I want it. I'm tired of living the life that I live, and I want something different. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you have a choice to do that today. Just like we can choose corruption, we can choose redemption. Because God is calling out to you as we speak. If you're here today with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you that option right now. It's not a special prayer. It's not about the church. It's not about me. It's between you and God. And I want you to know that He loves you so much. You should feel it right now, His love for you. He's trying to break through your wall so that you can receive that gift. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray by faith. It's not the words of the prayer that will save you. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever it is, does not matter. If you want to receive that gift, whether you're on the line, wherever you are, you can pray right now in your heart and in your mind. Speak to the Savior. I'll lead you in prayer, but it's not the words of the prayer. It's the intention of your heart that will save your soul. In your heart and your mind, repeat after me if you want to receive Christ. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. I'm so thankful that you love me in spite of myself. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you, Lord, after you were buried in the ground three days, you resurrected, defeating, conquering death, hell, and the grave. I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to come into my heart, and I'm asking you to save me. Lord, I thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.